Amen, amen. Or yes, right? Isn't that how we say amen now? Isn't that way more fun? It's way more fun to yell yes. I, I've been doing it in my own prayers. All right. So next time when I say amen, I actually want someone to yell yes. Whoever's brave. All right. So I'm going to move to the side for just a minute here um, to tell a quick story. Uh, so I want to start today. So um, think about Revelation. This makes sense to me. I was sitting right over there, uh, just kind of in the first row of the pews uh, in the morning. Uh, I don't know, a few weeks back. And I was, it was dark. And actually, my dad scared me because he was here before me. And I didn't know he was there. But uh, I came and I sat down. And uh, I mean, it's pitch black. I wanted to do it for you today, but I couldn't because there's too much light. But I was looking up here at the lion and the lamb, and what I'd recognized was I was sitting there was I could not see the lamb. In the dark, I could make out the lion, but this was hidden. I couldn't see it. It looked like it was just part of the lion. But then as people were coming in in the morning, the lights started to turn on back there behind the glass, and slowly the lion or the lamb came into view. But it took a while. So what struck me in Revelation is, I think, why we've been saying, I think, give me slide number uh, five. Why John writes it in this way is because it takes us a while to see this lamb. That is a different way of ruling and reigning. Blood and sacrifice. I understand the power of a lion. I have a harder time understanding the power of a lamb. So it really struck me. So today what I want to do when Revelation 6 and 7 is, uh, can you give me, uh, actually give me slide number 6. This is my, my day. This is what we're doing. I want to practice, and I've been praying for us. This is hard to see. Sometimes he is hard to see. And today we start looking at some of the hard things in life. And sometimes when life gets really hard, it's hard to see. So my prayer is that we would see. So I'm going to let you know up front, the final song of today, I want everyone to close their eyes for the whole song. I think the things we see in this life are so big and loud and there's so much that we cannot see because we can see. So for a minute, I want us all to not see. And maybe we'll see. Is that making sense? Maybe somehow, I wonder, I wonder if the Lord might interact with you in a different way when you have closed your eyes to what I can see in my physical world and maybe he'll show us something, all right? So this is my day. So prayers help us to see in practice. We've been saying for a little while now that uh, there's nothing new, Mike just mentioned it, in the Revelation. It's all old. Old Testament, slide number uh, four. Problem, are these people's favorite books in the Bible? Yeah? Spend a lot of time in Ezekiel and Isaiah, right? Probably not. So it's hard for us to to recognize it. The the listeners of these churches, they, they, they got it. It's a little harder for us. You know, we have things like the New Testament, and we like reading that versus reading about all kinds of stuff, right? So today I want to practice. So I'm going to try, if you would indulge me, to practice. I want everyone to have a Bible in their hands today, the whole day. 
I'm asking for no phones, if possible. Because this is what I want to do. As we read through six, we're going we're gonna to flip backwards over and over again, if I remember. And we're going to find what he's talking about in past books. And later, maybe you could, you, if you want to take a Bible, just take it with you. If you mark it today, just take it with you, okay? And you can look it up this week, because what's so fun for me, I'm in a text group, and I'm in, actually in two text groups. And uh, what I love doing in the mornings is as I'll be reading the chapter for the previous week, and I'll find some imagery in my devotions, and then I'll try to find it. So I'll jump back to whatever prophet it is, and I'll learn about that prophet. That's just what I've been doing for my devotions. Uh, and just so you know, the reason for text groups, I know some people like them, some people don't. Uh, the reason is, uh, I just want you to be reading your Bible. That's it. We oftentimes don't have great things to share. I don't. But we want to be in the Word. Because I was struck by this. Um, what's Jesus' primary weapon in Revelation? What is it? Revelation 1, I believe he had a, out of his mouth, 16, came a double-edged sword. His weapon is his word. You go to the end, when Jesus fights, fights evil, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which makes total sense to me. Does Jesus need to fight anybody? In the word was the beginning, right? What did the word do? The word talked. What happened? Everything. So the end, would it make sense that Jesus would just talk to evil and evil will do what he says? This is the word. This is the weapon. And John is not trying to think of things, decode things, I think, my opinion, He's drawn us backwards 400 and whatever, four times or 200, a lot of times. Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. So we're going to practice that today, all while hoping to, to see, okay? That's the plan. Are you ready? Before I do, though, one more thing. Um, can you give me slide number eight? I love this. This is one of the many books we've been given to read. So Revelation was written and shared to enable its hearers to control their fear, to renew their commitment, and sustain their vision. So there's a vision of the end in Revelation, right? Yes. There are many things to fear in life, right? So how do we remain committed in the middle? Well, John keeps going backwards to show, look how, look how they did it. Look how they did it. Look how they did it. You can do it. So now we're a couple thousand years out, and now we're looking back. Look how they did it. Look how they did it. Their life is crazier than ours. I can tell you that right now. You study this context, it is bananas. There was a city in the first church cities who uh, um, all their young women, they had, a, they had a festival. Get this, they had a festival. And every young woman, before she could marry, had to partake in the sexual immorality of the festival before she could get married. Law. That's the law. This is to, to control their fear, renew their commitment, and sustain their vision. So here in chapter 6, 
we get to evil. Page 1,219. Isn't it funny, though, that we just now get to evil? We just now get to the brokenness of life? Isn't that strange? I feel like for me, I, isn't that normally our first question? God, why this? God, why that? I don't understand. Where are you? What are you doing? That's in chapter six. But it took us six chapters to get to that point. Which leads me to believe that John believes that's not the first question. So what has he been asking us to ask? Give me slide number nine. He begins with who is God? We say this here all the time. The most important thing about us is what we think about him, right? Who we see him to be will dictate how we then live, right? So in the beginning, John portrays Jesus as the lion. Why? Because the reigning ruler is awful. His name is Domitian, most likely. A contemporary of Domitian said, from Domitian's teeth drip the blood of good Romans. Domitian was powerful. He was ruthless. He was also really good at what he did. Story is, in uh, Ephesus, one of the churches in chapter 2, he built a gymnasium, not like our gymnasium, different gymnasium. It was massive. It had a temple and all kinds of stuff. And gymnasiums of this size would take a century to build. He did it in four years. Domitian was called the beast. A beast. And they said it seemed like a beast in chapter 14 was rising up out of the ocean in Ephesus because he was building this thing so fast. Keep that in mind for future weeks. The beast. Who is God? Right? If you didn't, at that same gymnasium, if you didn't go and, and, and offer incense to Domitian you, and didn't get the mark to trade in the market, you couldn't trade, you could not live. Domitian is powerful. Who is God is what he begins with. To a church who's scrambling with no rights, no amendments, no free speech, nothing to say. They can do nothing to help themselves. Who's God? That's how he begins. Seems to be him to be the most important question. But then where is that God? Chapter two and chapter three. What does it say? He is among his churches. He is walking amongst them. He knows them. Every letter has specific context to each church. He knows everything about every church, what they're doing well, what they're struggling at. He's encouraging them. He knows them. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. So who is God? And then where is he? And then last week, the throne room. Who then will we worship? Who will we gather with? The worship of the day? Or like it's been set up here on the stage, do we join with the worship in the heavens, which is so hard to see? What do you choose? Now, let's talk about evil. Chapter 6. The Lamb, Jesus, opens the first of the seven seals. It's a scroll. So a scroll in this time period is what? It's a sermon. You came to the temple, you open the scroll, it's the sermon. So Jesus is almost, maybe, given a bit of a sermon. What's the scroll? It's a history for all humankind, beginning to end. 
And we're saying this is all very cyclical. What we see, what they're experiencing, has not changed. This is what humans do, who are trying to be God and not allowing God to be God. So he opens the first scroll, the first seal. He says, come. And there's a white horse. Pause. Turn back in your Bibles to page 941. The four horsemen. You want to have some fun. Read Zechariah. And look for the images. Page 941, chapter 6, verse 2. The first chariot Zechariah sees in his apocalyptic vision is a red horse. The second, a black horse. Third, white. Fourth, dappled. Same horses, same colors. These horses are of old. They are known in a different apocalyptic writing to God's people. Go back. The white horse, back to Revelation 6. He holds, a, he holds a bow, he's given a crown, he rides out to conquer. My opinion, this is my opinion, and there's lots of opinions, I've read a lot of them, is that if Jesus is opening the scroll of human history, I think the rider on the white horse is Jesus. Because in the beginning was the word. So Jesus, as he looks at humankind and history, he is on the battlefield with his people because he's present. He's not distant. So the white horse, I think, is Jesus, okay? Second horse, he opens the second seal. Come out, it's fiery red. You can actually give me slide number uh, 11. Fiery red. This horse is a horse of war. In Roman culture, they had a phrase, actually a couple phrases, vini, vidi, vici, right? Came, saw, conquered. Another one was piety, power, piety, war, victory, peace. War, coliseums, gladiators, blood, very well known to the church. Think about piety. If I believe, believe what we believe, says Rome. This is how they accomplished their vision. Then we go to war. When we go to war and we crush you, we have victory. And then what? We have peace. But I had to think, is that really very peaceful? But I was convicted. That's kind of how I think sometimes, right? Believe what we believe. That means we probably have to go to war. Then we have victory. Victory for who? How do the people under the boot of Rome feel about Rome? They liked being conquered by Rome? Was it a good thing? And then we'll have peace. There's no peace. Because then look, the black horse, he comes next. Go down to verse number six. It says this. There's a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. See, war costs a lot. Empire, power is expensive. So that's actually a, 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 a document they have found archaeologically found that exact amount. That's 500% inflation for grain. Grain was the oil of the day. So our gas, instead of three bucks, whatever it is, is now 18 or 19 bucks. What's life like for us? Under the boot of empire, under the boot of, of power. It's hard, 
right? And John's saying, this is the cycle of human history. This is what humans do in their quest for power. So we've been suppressed. Now we are poor. What's next? The next horse, the pale horse. Its riders were named Death, and Haze is falling close behind. One person I read said, this is sickness. When you have been crushed, when you are in poverty, you start to deal with sickness. And sickness has lots of different forms. But when I thought about this, when you have been crushed, when you have no money, how do you feel? Anxious, depressed. What's going on in our country currently, in our world? Are there, could there be some, some powers who are oppressing us? And as we get oppressed, there's depression and there's anxiety. See, what humans do to humans, this is Romans 1. God gives us over at times to our own passions, our own pleasures. And this is what humans choose to do when he is not the lion and the lamb. So the people of God opens the sixth seal, the fifth seal. What do they say? They say what we say. How long? How long? Go to page 537. Psalm 13. Maybe this is familiar to the original listeners. How long, O Lord, would you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My, my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But the people said, how long sovereign Lord. They're praying. Psalm 13 concludes with, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. So people who are oppressed by an empire with no money and no power and nothing are being reminded of a psalm a long time ago of people who are being oppressed by empires with no money and no voice. And they conclude by saying, but I trust in your unfailing love. Hang in there. Back to Revelation. It's page 1000. 219, if you're flipping. He opens the sixth seal, and there's a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth, made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as the fig drops from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Flip back to page 687. Chapter 12, verses, no, chapter 13, verse 10. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And then flip forward to page 705. Nope, 709, sorry. It'll last service too. 708. 
Isaiah 34, verse four. All the stars of the heavens will be dissolved and the sky rolled up like a scroll. All the star hosts will fall with withered leaves from the vine like shriveled figs from the fig tree. It's almost word for word. John is drawing people's eyes backwards to things they have known, to things they have memorized, to people in their family lines who they know their history. They know how they were faithful. They know how they endure. They know how they continue. He's saying, look backwards. Hang in there. Don't be compromised by that power and greed and sickness. Don't allow it. Don't be compromised. Come on. And John also used immediate context. Did you know there were earthquakes in the area, major earthquakes in 80, 17, 19, 21, 24, 29, and 60. They say the earthquake in 80, 60 was so big in Sardis, that church that we read about, a third, think of the numbers you'll see soon, a third of the mountain fell backwards. A third fell forwards. It seems like perhaps the horse in uh, the, the red horse and the black horse and the white horse have all the power, but guess what? There's a power bigger than them. Everyone will bend its knee someday because Jesus quotes the same thing in Matthew 24. Someday, everyone will bend the knee, no matter how powerful. They will cower in fear, John says. Kings, princes, generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone will bow its knee to Jesus. That's pretty hopeful when you feel oppressed, when you feel poor, impoverished, when you're saying, how much longer, God? That was the sixth seal, but the seventh doesn't happen for a while. It's way later, because there's an interlude, because that's what they see in life, but then John says, but I see something else. Chapter seven, he sees four angels stand at the four corners of the earth. That means that they are holding everything back. The four corners means all of humankind. And before all those things can happen, he sees an angel come forward and he angel seals the forehead of those who are written in the book of life, of those who will turn and believe in God, who will say, I believe in Jesus. He seals them with what? Go forward. It's with Jesus' blood. They are safe, they are secure. Yes, they will have to endure all the things of this life, but guess what? They have something to look forward to. The day is coming. It says there's 144,000 sealed. That is a symbol. The 12,000 from each tribe, 12 tribes, 12,000, that's 144,000. What that means is no one is missing. No one is missing. Who's not missing? Jump down, verse nine. After this, I looked and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. There are more people in heaven than you think. Can I say that? John says there's a multitude that no one can count in heaven. That is a lot of people. That reminds me of Genesis where God says to Abraham, the OG of the Israelite people, I'm gonna give you be more people than sand on the shore. There'll be more people in your family than stars in the sky. There are gonna be so many people in heaven. So many people will repent, will turn, will say yes to Jesus. How hopeful is that? A little bit later, 
there's this really interesting verse. It's in, um, I don't want to spoil something for someone else, but it's in chapter 11. And in chapter 11, there's a huge earthquake and it destroys the city. And a, a tenth of the city is destroyed, okay? A tenth of the city is destroyed. One tenth, which means what? Nine tenths of the city is not destroyed. And what does the nine tenths do according to John? Give glory to the God of heaven. For some reason, I think we have this belief that a couple people are in heaven. I don't think that's true. There's the stuff we we live through in life is allowed to take place sometimes. And I don't understand all that. I don't get it. But somehow, it can be used to change our hearts. In that life, the life we move into now is way longer, way bigger, way more important than this one. See, this one keeps going. The heavens are really full. Doesn't that make sense as a letter to the churches to hang in there? Do you, I, I'm trying to figure out how you all are doing right now. I can't tell. There's a great multitude in the heavens. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? We gotta go get them. We get to partner. We get to go. Why do you think we're collecting names of people that we wanna pray for and worship with? Just think. Nine-tenths, that's a lot. People still have a choice. They have to choose to repent. I've heard, I think, four stories recently of people who said yes to Jesus on their deathbed. That was the moment they chose. That was the moment that they turned. I get so locked into a small part of life and just think that everybody is going to hell. Anybody else? But... If you're the king and you step back, I had this, so here's a question. I'm asking myself this question. I'll pose my question to you. When do I want Jesus to come back? Because I wrote some names down this morning and I don't want him to come back yet. I want them to be in heaven. I want them to turn and to change and to repent. I want them to put their hope in Jesus. So I finally said, Jesus, don't come back yet. Not yet. There are more people we have that we get to partner with you to go find. There's more people. If I'm Jesus, what, when do you come back? I don't know. Because there's always more people. I've been sitting with that. That's been messing with me big time. No, there's in Revelation 8 next week. I'm just so, I'm, you know, Revelation's making me pray a lot. I think that's a good thing. Next week, it talks about how the, se- the seventh seal, all these prayers are being collected. And then someone dumps the prayers out. And the prayers of God's people 
my wife laugh because I hit a table really hard last week. I'm not going to do it this week. But the prayers crash into earth. Do you ever think about your prayers crashing into earth and it causes an earthquake? Prayers are thunder and lightning. Do you think about that? Do you pray for people like that with that expectation? Think of the people in your life right now who don't know who Jesus is yet. Start praying. The prayers are being collected and someday, boom, into earth. I mean, throw the Bible. Amen? Yes! So today, we get to come, the rest of the seven, it's about, it's a feast of tabernacles. The people of God are celebrating atonement that they're washed in the blood of Jesus and they're all coming from all four corners of the earth for the feast of tabernacles. And they're singing songs of ascent as they all come up to Jerusalem to worship from all over the world. Today, people all over the world are celebrating this. So today, in a way, we are all celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles a little bit. We're all coming up to Jerusalem. We're coming up to see things as they actually are. That there's a king who reigns. There's a king who loves us. There's a king who dies for us, who reigns through sacrifice. So we get to be people who love people, who pray for people, who are patient with people, who are gracious and forgiving. It's so hard. So I'm going to challenge everybody. It's been a challenge to me. I'll have Darren come up and uh, we'll come to the table. I drive through town right now. I'm going to say this. I think it's good that we all vote. I drive through town right now and I'm just praying for every sign. Every single sign, every single issue, every single person. I just pray. I pray for that person. I pray for that person. I pray for that place. I pray for that issue. I pray for our children. I just pray. If prayers actually matter, if they actually crash into the earth, if they actually shake the earth, is what John sees, what if we all were riding through town praying prayers for everything happening in our city? We might have a really kind and cordial, respectful election. I think that'd be great. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah. I invite Darren up. Let's pray. So yeah, we are coming to your table. Your table. You died for us knowing who we are. Knowing what we have done. And we are so grateful. So I pray something significant happens in our hearts today as we participate with you in the Lord's Supper. Amen.